0: Our scripture reading this morning is Matthew 9, 27 through 34. And we're continuing in our sermon series on the miracles of Jesus in the gospel of Matthew. Matthew 9, beginning at verse 27. Let's listen to God's holy and infallible word. As Jesus went on from there, Two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. And then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, will it be done to you? And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. And then unbelievably, but they went out and spread the news about him over all that region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons." We read at the beginning of our text as Jesus went on from there. And it's, this is a continuation of the verses just before this, which we read and looked at last week. And, and last week in uh, those verses just before ours, we saw five marks of miraculous faith. And that was in the healing of the bleeding woman and the raising of the ruler's daughter. Miraculous faith... Uh, What what I mean by that is a saving faith, a real faith, a living faith, as opposed to a dead or a false faith that the Bible also talks about. The Bible shows that faith is very critical to uh, these miracles happening that we've been reading about. But it's a mistake to conclude that we can get healing miracles too if only we have enough faith. Some churches, some pastors teach that today, but I think they're mistaken. And it's not that God doesn't heal people today. It's not that God doesn't do miracles today. In fact, I think it's very possible that there are a lot more miracles, uh, divine miracles, going on in, in our lives and in the world than, than we tend to recognize. Uh, but the connection of our faith with miracles is especially about the greatest miracle of all, and that salvation in Jesus, and growing in that salvation. That's what the miracles in the Bible are there to point us to, especially the coming of God's kingdom and the miracle of the coming of God's kingdom into our hearts so that we are saved and so that we can be renewed for life in this world. And so we saw those five marks of miraculous faith last week. We saw that it's inside out, that is, faith starts in the heart. It often comes when we're at the end of our rope in our life, when we're totally desperate and we realize there's nothing we ourselves can do to change our situation in life for the better. But it doesn't stop there. True faith recognizes the power of Jesus and it reaches out to get in contact with him. Uh, the one who has the power for our lives. Uh, Fourthly, we saw that miraculous faith is for you too. It's for anyone, uh, that rich ruler, that poor woman, not just for church people, not just for good people, but it's for any one of us, anyone in the world, in fact, who comes to Jesus in their need. And finally, we saw that miraculous faith is simple to apply. You just call out to Jesus. All you do is receive the gift of faith that he puts in your heart and say, I need you, Lord. I can't do it on my own in life, but I believe that you have the power because I know your word says and witnesses saw it because you died and you rose again to bring salvation to all your people. And I want that and I need that. The emphasis of faith with the miracles is in our text today, too. Jesus says to the two blind men, do you believe that I'm able to do this? And then he says, according to your faith, will it be done to you? But there seems to be a shift to giving us not marks of miraculous faith, but more attitudes of miraculous faith, which is important because You could know all about those five marks of miraculous faith we talked about. You could have the right view of what faith is, what it's all about, but still you could approach it wrong. One, I could think of a few wrong approaches to faith. Uh, One of them is an entitlement attitude towards the faith and salvation. I deserve it. I'm such a nice person. I'm such a good guy. I've been to church all my life. I mostly do my best to be kind and helpful to others. Of course I'm saved. Obviously. I mean, look at me. And this is, what, this is the attitude that ancient Israel began to have in Old Testament times. God had chosen them to be his special people, but then their heads got kind of big about that. They began to mistakenly think that there was something great about them that made God love them, that they deserved faith and salvation. They were more deserving than other people in the world, and they forgot that it was all about God's sheer grace. It wasn't about them. It was about God's compassion and grace and mercy. Another poor approach to faith is a doubting approach. Is God really with me or not? And you might say, based on what's gone on in my life, I'm not so sure. You can know the marks of true faith, but doubt that it's really for you. Another wrong approach uh, we might call triumphalism. If I have miraculous faith, that means everything in my life will go my way. Everything in my life will go perfectly well from here on out. Jesus is all-powerful. And that means he will keep me and my loved ones safe always. No illness. We'll be healthy. He'll probably even make sure we got uh, plenty of money. Everything's going to go my way now. That, too, is a wrong approach to faith. Impatience would also be a wrong attitude. When I'm saved, this is thinking, when I'm saved, I'll get all God's blessings now. I want it all and I want it now. When the reality is that our renewal is a process over time. You know, we read uh, the great Apostle Paul still struggled with sin and temptation and he felt he had a long ways to go in terms of becoming like Jesus when when Christ calls us home or when he returns, then we'll experience salvation in full. But until then, sometimes in the Christian life it can be like one step forward, a couple steps back. And so impatience towards ourselves, and maybe even more so, impatience towards others and their progress in the faith would be a mistake. It's like raising kids. Why do they keep fighting? Why aren't they more respectful to me as a parent? Why don't they eagerly help out around the house? Well, because they're kids. And that maturity takes a long time to develop. Patience is one of the greatest virtues you need as a parent. And we need patience as God's children, too, because though we're saved immediately when we believe, We call that justification. Our inner renewal, sanctification, according to God's design, takes time. Instead of those wrong approaches, we see in our text the right approach to miraculous faith in several ways. First of all, miraculous faith waits on the Lord. There's something a little different, and it's kind of subtle, And I didn't catch this on the first read at all, but there's something a little different about this miracle compared to the miracles we've been looking at up until now for the most part. Last week, that ruler came to Jesus with his need, his daughter had died, and then Jesus right away got up to go with him to his house where his daughter was lying dead. On the way there, a woman touched his cloak. Jesus turns to her, commends her faith, and she was healed immediately. Usually people come to Jesus and he stops what he's doing, talks to them, heals them. There's no delay. But here it's different. The two blind men were following him, calling out, have mercy on us, but it's clear he doesn't Right away, turn them or stop. He does not immediately address them in their need. He keeps going, we read, until he was indoors. And then he talked to them and with them. Then he healed them. In other words, uh, they had the right faith. and, And we know that because they go to Jesus. They called him son of David. And that's a messianic title. In other words, it's a title that the Jews used for the Savior God had promised back in Old Testament times and who would one day come and who turned out to be Jesus. So they were on track. They went to Jesus. They knew who Jesus was. And they were miraculously healed. Everything was fine and right about their faith. All indications were that they had a true faith. But they had to wait. And sometimes we experience that too. The Lord doesn't always immediately respond to us when we reach out to him in our need. Now, why is that? Well, God could be testing our faith. The Bible talks about that. Uh, The Bible talks about God calling us to persist in faith, to not give up, to keep knocking on the door of heaven. In the case here, it could be that Jesus uh, went indoors because he didn't want huge crowds to gather around him like he'd been dealing with for uh, the previous couple days for sure, and he was tired. So he wanted to do it in a, in a quieter ways indoors. Or, or it could be he didn't want people to see that he responded positively to that Son of David title because he wasn't quite ready to reveal it to everyone yet. There might be any number of reasons that God in his mysterious providence sometimes calls us to wait. There's an interesting uh, little account in Daniel 10. If you have a really good memory, maybe you remember that from our Daniel series a few years ago. But the prophet Daniel, we read, is praying to God. But for 21 days, there's no response. He has to wait all that time. He's told after the fact that the waiting was because there was a cosmic battle going on behind the scenes. The angel of the Lord came to Daniel and said that a demon who had influence over Persia was resisting him, and that they were locked in battle until the archangel Michael finally defeated him. And then that angel of God assures Daniel that God heard his prayer from the very beginning, but he had to wait for a response because of this mysterious battle going on in the spiritual realm. So just because God delays an answer or doesn't seem to answer, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with our prayers or our faith. And though there are times we have to wait and it feels like God isn't hearing us like Daniel, there's no question that whenever we pray, God hears your prayer from the beginning A child of God realizes, though, that God sometimes makes us wait for His timing. And it could be any number of reasons for that. In the Psalms, we read about this all over the place, about waiting for the Lord. Psalm 40, verse 1 says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He turned to me and heard my cry. Uh, And we talked about that one of the wrong approaches A wrong attitude of faith, impatience, frustrated that we don't get what we want when we want. The right attitude is patiently waiting on God's timing. And we can trust that whatever the reason for the wait, that it's always for our good. We can trust that God's timing is always best. Second, miraculous faith inspires proclamation. Jesus sternly warns these two men not to tell others what happened and and they do anyway. If they know the power of Jesus and who he is, I can't believe that they dared to do that, but they do. And we don't really know why Jesus says don't tell anyone. It could tell anyone. It it could be that Jesus didn't want the miracle known or or maybe he didn't want people to know that he was the son of David and know that he was the Messiah. Either way, these guys apparently can't help but spread the word about their miracle. And, and the Bible doesn't really describe it that way, actually. That it was about their miracle. They spread the news, we read, about him. And so they can't, help but tell others about Jesus. And that's true for us too. When the Lord miraculously saves us and changes us and renews us and does wonderful things in our hearts and lives, draws us closer to him, we can't help but spread the word about him. We want everyone to know. And and this is the opposite of the entitlement attitude and approach, which says, I deserve Jesus, I deserve salvation. An entitlement attitude in life makes it about you and not others. Instead, true faith is generous and says, Friend, what I have is for you too. Thinking of uh, the prophet Jonah in the Old Testament, he wanted to keep salvation for himself instead of sharing it with the people of the city of Nineveh. And his attitude was, let them get what they deserve, those lousy pagan sinners. But that wrong attitude that the prophet of God had changes when you realize the truth that there's no one who deserves miraculous faith. None of us do either sinners that we are but god is gracious in jesus and when that hits you you want others to know god's grace too and that fits right in with where matthew goes after these miracles if your bible's still open Um, he talks about the harvest being plentiful and the workers being few and the harvest refers to people who need to be gathered into the family of God and to hear the invitation to put their faith in Jesus. And then Matthew records how Jesus sends out the twelve disciples on almost like a little test run of the Great Commission to proclaim Jesus to others. He says, go to the lost sheep of Israel and preach. And soon they'd be called to go beyond that uh, to preach, to proclaim to all God's lost sheep. And if the Lord cares about the lost sheep of Israel, of the world, so should we. And really, we can't help it when we truly know how amazing it is what God has done for us. Uh, We want to proclaim it. We want to share it with others. There's one more attitude of miraculous faith, and that's that it expects opposition. After Jesus drives out A demon, the Pharisees don't deny that the miracle happened, but they say that Jesus is aligned with Satan in verse 34. It's by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Knowing the scripture, they should have known that this was all of God because those ancient messianic prophecies were being fulfilled before their very eyes. Isaiah 35, 5 and 6 read... Uh, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the tongue of the dumb shall sing. But they're choosing to reject Jesus. And, And in previous chapters in Matthew, there were starting to be hints of this hostility by people, by the religious leaders, the people in that region where Jesus sent the demons into the pigs. They were against Jesus. They said, get out of our town. When Jesus went into the home to raise the little girls, sending the mourners out, saying she's just asleep, the people laughed at him. Verse 34 that we read is probably the strongest statement yet about the fact that people were becoming hostile to Jesus. And we get more of that when Jesus sends out the 12 in the next chapter. He warns them that people will not listen to them, He says, be on your guard. People will flog you, arrest you, you'll be persecuted. And that opposition would steadily increase until the cross. And that ties into what Jesus says in chapter 10 also. A servant is not above his master. In other words, because Jesus will be opposed and is opposed, we should also expect opposition. And so if you experience spiritual warfare in your life, it's not a sign that your faith is false or weak. It's more likely a sign that you have real miraculous faith. The devil does not bother people who are coasting along in their spiritual life, not seeking to grow. But he does get after people who are actively persistently using that gift of God's faith to reach out to Jesus and to know him more and more. Satan attacks people who are being changed in their hearts. And so, if you find sometimes that discouragement sets in in your life and in your Christian walk, if you experience roadblocks, conflicts to getting to worship with your family, Distractions that keep you away from prayer and personal and family devotions. Don't be surprised. Satan attacks people who are seeking to live in faith. And that's true of churches too. A church that is really doing something, well, that really bothers Satan. And he'll do whatever he can to disrupt it. And, and that can that can happen, that disruption and and Opposition to a church can happen in all sorts of ways. It can happen through uh, causing people to grumble and mumble, and he can create lack of unity. One of the things I think of in our own church in recent years is even while we've welcomed any number of new people to join us, so many, and you've probably noticed this, of our most active and involved members have moved out of state, I did in five minutes a quick count. It's around 90 people, 90 people, adults and children, in the, just in the last few years, if you can believe that, who have moved from our church, from this area, out of Satan. And, and, and Satan can use that to try to discourage me as a pastor. And I confess, I've been discouraged by all these people uh, moving um. And, and, and you can use that to discourage us as a church too. And and continue to think of opposition, hostility of Satan. I think too of leaders in our church that were called home by God in their prime. The number of people who have struggled in their life in our church over the years with cancer. I think of challenges and suffering in Pastor Lancer's family and in my own in recent years. Satan wants us to wilt under these pressures. Satan wants a church under pressures like that and others to get discouraged, to complain, to become negative when the right response is for us not to give in, but to work harder than ever in God's mission together. Because if faith CRC has caught Satan's attention, We must be doing something right. And so we press forward. We're called to fill those spots left by people who have moved. By inviting our family members, our friends, our neighbors to a community like this that they need. A church committed to standing on God's word. A church family that expresses God's love in amazing and beautiful ways. And a church that sends people out to live joyful lives in service of god's kingdom hell does its worst with the saints said one believer who experienced a lot of hardship in his life but then he goes on the rarest souls have been tested with high pressures and temperatures but heaven will not desert them and so we can expect challenges but God won't let us go. God will not desert us. Jesus says to his disciples in the next chapter after warning them about the opposition, and he says it to you and me today too, do not be afraid. And are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. Even the hairs on your head are numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whatever the hostility and opposition to God and to His children and to His church, He does not let us go. He'll be with us and protect us and keep us. And His plan of salvation will never fail. And He'll see it through it. We saw on Easter, the hosts of Satan did their very worst. They killed Jesus. They killed the Son of God, but He turned the tables on them, conquered death, and that lowest point of all, that point of greatest opposition, became the greatest victory that the world has ever seen. And so we apply those marks of miraculous faith to our lives. We do that by waiting on the Lord and for His timing. We do that by proclaiming and sharing the good news of saving faith. And we do that as we live by expecting opposition. Pentecost, when God sent the Holy Spirit, means we can actually do all those things. We can actually live this kind of faith because in God's plan of salvation, the Holy Spirit, He's he's the person who applies faith and works renewal in our hearts. And and we can depend on His power, not our own weakness. As we reach out in our lives to Jesus in faith, may God do salvation miracles all over the place in our hearts and lives. And as God has already worked so many salvation and renewing miracles in and through our church, we pray that that would happen more and more. In all of us, in our children, our families, among long-time believers, among brand-new believers. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, make us more and more a people of faith. Uh, and not some dead, boring, stagnant faith. But a, a strong faith, a miraculous faith, a, a faith that uh, we read about in your word, a faith that uh, you, you give us, you put in our hearts ourselves. Uh, we just have to um, accept the gift and exercise that faith. Thank you that we're able to do that uh, because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Work His power in our lives, in our homes more and more. Work out his power in our church, in Faith CRC. Lord, uh, we love you. We pray that you would uh, uh, be near us in this week to come as we live out the faith. Do miracles. Miracles of salvation in our homes, in our hearts, in our neighborhoods with people we come in contact with and renew miraculous renewing of our hearts, those of us who have already accepted Jesus in our hearts day by day. Make us more like you, Jesus. In your name, amen.